welcome to the Logistics Tribe. I'm your host, Boris Felgendreher, and today we will talk about a topic that's particularly close to my heart, and that I know is on the minds of a lot of our listeners. And that is the question whether now is actually the right time to start working for a logistics tech startup. I've been involved with supply chain logistics and technology startups for most of my career, and I really enjoyed this lively discussion on the topic with my two guests, Frederick Krafforst and Jonah McIntyre. Frederick is the co-founder and CEO of LogTech startup TradeLink, and Jonah has founded and successfully sold two LogTech startups and is currently working for Transborion, an established LogTech company. Regardless of whether you're a seasoned professional with more of a corporate background, whether you have some experience in startup environments or whether you're starting fresh out of university, startups, especially in the supply chain and logistics area, can be a very attractive career opportunity. But with all the uncertainty around the economy, an increasingly difficult startup funding environment, etc., there are a lot of things to consider. So I think today's episode is a very valuable resource for all of you. And on the topic of valuable tools and resources, I'd also like to mention that I just launched a brand new project called the LogTechies Job Board. LogTechies is the first hand-curated job board for the field of logistics technology. And that's where I post the coolest LogTech jobs at those companies that I currently find the most interesting. Right now, the board features really cool LogTech jobs at Sender, at Flash and Post, at FanRide, at TradeLink, at Noise Technologies, and there are many more to come. You can find the LogTechies job board at LogTechies.com. L-O-G-T-E-C-H-I-E-S dot com. LogTechies.com. Okay, before we get started with today's show, a quick thanks to our supporters, Gray Orange. Gray Orange automates warehouse operations through a combination of AI software and autonomous mobile robots. Gray Orange systems are in place at some very prominent companies, such as IKEA or the Danish household goods and furniture retailer Jysk. If you're looking to get your warehouse and fulfillment operations to the next level with the help of autonomous robots and automation, you should definitely have Grey Orange on your list. Check them out at greyorange.com. All right, and now let's move on to the show with Frederick Karfrost and Jonah McIntyre. Enjoy. Hello, Frederick. Hello, Jonah. Welcome to the Logistics Tribe. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Boris. Frederick, Jonah, as I just mentioned in my brief intro, I want to talk to you today about... If now is actually a good time to join a LogTech startup, and let me just sort of quickly set up the scene of why I feel <laughs> this topic. First of all, I haven't heard this topic being discussed in any length, in any detail, in any podcast or any format. So um, I think it's important for us to talk about it. And you each bring, or we all three of us bring very unique backgrounds to the table that are worth discussing and double clicking on. And then also, uh, we can probably start start with discussing how this whole LogTech startup ecosystem has evolved over the last few years, and it's definitely changing right now, right? You can't avoid the fact that the global economy is changing. Um, there's major, major misalignments between between companies and the markets, and um, and it's trickling down into the tech sector. So there's there's heavy developments and cutbacks and slowdowns and hiring and investments at major tech companies that have so far been pretty much resistant and robust and reluctant to any sort of slowdown. And they're seeing it now. So this is obviously at some point trickling down to the log tech sector that I have become very fond of and been a champion of for the last few years because it's been booming so much, so much money has gone into it, so many new talent entered that market. So I'm afraid right now that this all might be coming to a screeching hold, <laughs> which I hope is not the case. So let's double click on that and actually figure out for folks who are working in the traditional logistics sector, 
that are thinking about maybe joining a startup, but also people already working at, in the log tech startup scene and thinking about, do I stay in there? Should I leave? And do I get cold feet? Do I, should, I, should I work for a more established company? Let's double click on all of that, but maybe let's sort of review and, and, and sort of um, zoom out a little bit and let's just review the last few years how you experienced the entire log tech sector developing. And Jonah, let's start with you because you've been sort of a serial entrepreneur. You've been in this sector for a long, long time. You've seen it all. You've seen the ups and downs that have naturally occurred. And then you've monitored and witnessed this sort of sudden, really log tech boom that we saw in the last, I want to say, three or four years. Maybe let's start with you. What's your what's your recap of the of the last few years of the log tech sector? I think that uh, the financial wave of sort of money at zero percent interest as the baseline uh, hit us the same way it hit all other sectors. Essentially, money was just looking for a place to go to get any sort of future return at all, and mm -hmm. and and that that drove a lot. Basically, that that was that was maybe fifty percent of the of the. I don't know, the energy in the room or the air in the room was coming from this flood of money. And a lot of that money went to, to genuinely interesting things. And then a lot of the money went to things that were more speculative or, or simply like unfounded in, 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 at their base. Uh, but we should probably distinguish between two kinds of you know, log tech. You've got the log part, which is they're essentially logistics companies that are just built for the internet age from day mm -hmm. one. Yeah. And then you, you have you're the, thinking you think of the flex ports, the senders, the yeah. Zen cargos of the world. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you take a company like like Zen Cargo, Flexport, or Sender. Th th their operating model is is a logistics company. It there's some sort of there's a suggestion or a reality that the they do it in a technic technically enabled way better than their competitors. But you know, mm -hmm. from the outside, you look at the black box as a logistics company, and then there's a technology companies that serve the logistics sector, uh, right? And this would be a proliferation of things like uh, uh, our, our old <laughs> supply chain visibility. Every, every supply chain visibility would be there in like 100 years is, still is a hot topic, I guess. Uh, but, mm -hmm. you know, um, the, the pr uh, proliferation of sensors and the ability to do tracking down on smaller and smaller levels of, of granularity and with uh, smaller granularity between time points of when you get some sort of signal, so whether it's continuous or not, and, and, and then just a number of other things. So I think there's the, both of those sides receive funding and are doing interesting things, but they, they really, I think they head in different directions in the future now because of the change in the funding cycles. So that, that's my, my take on it. Yeah, and just to double click on it, you were stressing the fact that money was so cheaply available and that drove a lot of the investments that went in, but there's also this other element where like, especially in the last two years, the world has really experienced firsthand how analog and how old-fashioned and how complicated supply chains and how brittle they still are. So I think yeah. that's what also prompted a lot of investments in that space, not just because money was available, because also the, the shortcomings of the way global supply chains are run have become so blatantly obvious. I think that was another driver probably, right? And the move to B2C, right? I, I, I mean, you could, you'd, you'd also say like, hey, everyone's ordering from, from home now. Uh, or has right. been in the last last year and a half, and even if money was at you know the baseline interest rate was at six percent, that would have fueled it a 
a kind of a wild west drive to claim that space and create services for that space. So, so yeah, I agree with you on that part. Yeah. Frederick, anything to add there? What's your experience? I mean, you, you're somewhat comparative compared to me and, and Jonah, you're still somewhat fresh to, to the sector. Uh, what attracted you originally? I mean, how did you come into it and what were some of the contributing factors why you started a venture in yeah. that space and that is, is finance now? Cool. I really like the framework that you use, Jonah, with, with the lock and the tech piece. I think another way to look at our discussion is um, should you join a logistic tech company at all? And that's between startup and logistics, right? So that's two questions. And then the other question, the third question is, should you do it right now? So then there's a timing timing piece. Um, we started in 2020. So we just a couple of months before everyone was talking about supply chain uh, and logistics, um, just because of what we experienced. But when we started, we didn't know that yet. What we really were attracted to is the sheer size of the problem. So we really enjoyed thinking about, I know it's, I think it's about 107 trillion of goods that we're moving across our B2B supply chains in Europe and North America. So this is just an unimaginable size. And we really enjoyed thinking about how that is being aligned and communicated right now. And this just seems to be, that that needs to be solved, right? That's that's something that we wanted to work on. And I think in, in logistics or supply chain, because this, the market is just so big and the problems are so big, you have a chance to build a world-changing company, right? And that's something that really attracted us. Yeah, one thing I want to add to that is the fact that something that I've observed in which you, um, Frederick, are a perfect example of, is that we've seen this influx of founders that are not from the logistics space or from the supply chain space. Yeah. I mean, you can name just any any of the even very successful companies that have made it, that have got funding and that built ma major companies, they were all started by people that are completely agnostic or not from the industry at all, which I find oh, yeah. most fascinating. So that it, that's the first time in history, basically, that that whole space attracted people from the outside world, where in the in, in the past, you know, you maybe you've got some ideas and some trials and some experiments and some, some funding from inside mm -hmm. of the industry. Now that's completely reversed. That I found one of the most exciting, interesting trends. Yeah. I think what we experience is in logistics or supply chain, it's really complex, right? You really need to love to get into that and really understand it. And we're still learning. It's, it's We're still learning stuff and we're still being corrected by people we talk to because we use the wrong lingo or we, we, we miss the detail. Uh, so I think you really need to be, if you're from, from outside, the camp, uh, outside the industry, you really need to love learning and learning and listening and listening. Um, for us, it was a coincidence, I think. Um, we had initial insight from a co-founder um, because he founded an e-commerce company that something can be done better. And then we just were curious and started investigating, investigating, investigating and came to a lot of problems. And the interesting piece was that people were really open to talk about it because I think they also had the feeling that it didn't get enough attention yet. So we're very open to discuss this, especially in the logistics part of supply chain, right? Which is was underserved with attention or still is. Yeah, also you also need a certain... I mean, naivete is probably the wrong word, but it's some sort of fresh mind, a beginner's mind, right? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, you know, it's, there's, there's, so, there's so many people in the industry that are just old and entrenched and think about the way things are done in the old traditional ways. And sometimes it just takes an outsider to just come in there and think, wow, this is a huge space. There's a huge potential here. And this is so analog. Let's jump in here with a naive beginner's mind. That's very yeah. refreshing. That sometimes jumpstarts things. Just the way that Elon Musk jumped into the, the automotive industry, right? It's probably or, a, a, bad space, a bad example. Space. Well, I, I think yeah. I think his, his space, jump yeah. into space is actually more interesting because you, know, <laughs> you have a guy who says, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for a fraction of the cost with a ship that comes back and lands itself, 
and uh, uh, and it's going to use like a I don't it's like a tenth of the moving parts or something. A- and you go, okay, so what's your background? And he's like, well, I did a software company. Yeah, come on. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So that trickled down into the luck tech space. I feel because I've talked to so many successful founders mm-hmm. who had no idea, and then just like kind of jumped into the deep end of the pool and became fascinated and became experts really, really quickly on the topic. Right, yeah. so it's it, it. Sometimes you you over overestimate how long it takes to actually get smart on stuff. It can get get super quick if you really if you really onto yeah. something and really dive down into a niche. But I think there's yeah. also this interesting point that comes really quickly once you've found sort of your initial idea and you got some validation on this. Then you realize how long that took you, and you don't want everyone to do the same. So then you switch, right? Then you want the people from the industry to join you, and you tell them what you found right. out. And that's something you really need afterwards. Like probably Elon Musk is hiring a lot of people from BMW right now. Um, so, so I think that changes quickly then. Yeah. Have you reached that point yet with your with your shop, um, yeah. Frederick? I mean, are you already looking to hire sort of entrenched expertise? For sure. Yeah. Um, we try to mix them because I think if you have a team that's composed of different uh, experience, that's super helpful. But teaching everyone that joins how logistics and supply chain works, that's, that's a long process. Yeah, so we try to speed that up. Yeah, what do you make of the fact that, as I mentioned before, this this trickling down of the hiring slowdown, even some some layoffs. I mean, we've seen some layoffs arrive in the lock tech space. I mean, most prominent cases were fast delivery service, right? Like Gorillas, GoPuff, um, Gettier. They had major layoffs, even in headquarters, not just drivers and not pulling back out of markets, but actually support staff and people in the headquarters in Berlin and that's sort of disquieting and worrying but that's probably a, a, a unique example because they, they came out of nowhere they rose to exorbitant evaluations and just bloated operations and had to, just had to cut back accordingly but that's probably a bad example but I could see this affecting the entire sector where people just get spooked, right? Because you hear these headlines and you don't want to get axed. I mean, regardless of how talented you are and how quickly you find a new job, nobody wants to get in a situation where your 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 rug is being pulled from under you. That's a really, really, it's a damper. It's a really a damper. It's going to affect the way you, Frederick, and others are being able to hire people. I think it's going to have a real impact. What do you What do you feel? I mean, you have conversations right now with people yeah. that are interested in joining you. What do you feel? Is that already sinking in? Are people becoming more cautious or are they just as willing to to jump into an adventure as they were before all of this started turning south? I think Jonah made a good point that you you need to look at the reason. So people are asking, right? They're asking what, so how safe is it to work at your company? But um, to look at the examples you brought, I think some of them, maybe the fundamentals of the business model were not there, right? But they got funding. So mm-hmm. that, that's something yeah. you want to take out of the equation uh, because they're not relevant because obviously I think I have a sound business model, right? And when we interview, you should ask me about that. Um, and the other piece is every company, when, when markets go up and, and demand goes up, all companies have plans to serve that demand. And if that suddenly crashes, you need to adjust, right? That's not just logistics, that's everywhere. So I right. think that's a normal mm-hmm. movement that can happen to you wherever you work. When we're having these discussions right now, um, I think the first question is, do you want to work at a startup in the first place, if you're the right person for a startup? And if you are, um, and let's say in an example, you started at, let's take a great company, um, a big company that was hiring a lot, let's say Project 44, for example, you started there um, half a year ago, and maybe they're overhired, uh, and now they find out that they have too many positions, um, too many people for the positions, so you're being made uh, let go. Now you're in the market, you have half a year of experience at a startup who probably did a lot of things really right. You learned a lot that you wouldn't have learned before. Your employability actually went up. If you're the right person to work at a startup, 
now you're even more likely to go to a great startup, right? Because you already made the decision you want to work at the startup. And I'd probably hire you even more likely now than I did before you started at yeah. Project 44. So I think that's also a way to look at it. If you are the right person for a startup, I think every day you're not doing that, you're wasting part of your life. Um, because your employability will just go up. Yeah. yeah, so that's an interesting theory that you once you're in it and then even if you get axed or if you're making ma- being made redundant, once you're in it, you stay in it. I can also envision the, the opposite being the case where you get spooked and you get burned and you don't want another one of those instances on your resume which will is still being looked down upon if you stayed in a place for less than a year or what have you. Um, and you don't want to take risks and then you're going to go back to Dibyshenko or Kuno Nagel just to for a few years just to to smooth things out again. Jonah, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I think you see that in other careers. So if, if you worked in, let's say you, were, you went and worked at a, uh, you used Project 44, it's a really well-known name. So, it, you know, if the equivalent would be if you went and worked for something like Goldman Sachs and you were there for four months and then you were fired. Yeah, that, that looks bad. If you were there for 18 months, two years, you lose your job. Like, if you want to stay in the sector, you're probably going to be able to parlay that into, you know, hire in another another investment bank. I think the the thing that I, if I if I could, if I was coaching somebody through, uh, let's say I was talking to somebody who worked at a either a standard software company, so they worked at SAP, for example, and they were thinking about going to a, a new technology provider, or <laughs> and the technology provider would accept them. Uh, or, or I was talking to somebody who worked at, yeah, like, uh, uh, I don't know, Hatback Lloyd, and they were thinking about going to Zen Cargo or something like that. So the, thing, the couple things I'd be pointing out, so one is, it's not so much a downturn in the economy, I think, as it's the change in the underlying interest rate that, you know, we were in a situation where if, some, if, a, if a startup's all of their future free cash flow was, say, 20 years in the future, that's when they're actually going to start being profitable and making really big money. That was fine because it was there was no discount between now and 20 years from now. I mean, it just the, if you paid me a million dollars back as an investor 20 years from now, that was basically the same as a million today because there was the interest rate and the inflation rate were essentially zero. But that's not the case anymore. So so suddenly uh, a long bet, which like take a public company like Uber, posted their first free cash flow uh, this quarter, right? And their free cash flow was like 0.1% EBITDA. I mean, it's nothing, right? It's, 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 it's nothing. And so that that suddenly is totally unacceptable um, in the new sort of financial financial reality. And I think that causes a more, because the, the downturn in the economy, that'll swing back. That's a that's a 18 months kind of painful period and then it comes back and it's not going to swing that much. Maybe that's a, a small retraction. This reset in to interest rates that are more like what we had before the, the great financial crisis, that I think is more important. And that'd be the first thing. And the second thing is like, okay, they're, 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 yeah, they're laying people off, but uh, you know, the, the difference between sort of BMW and, and Tesla is, is more the growth trajectory. Uh, anyway, so like you maybe you didn't get laid off in BMW, but you weren't going to you weren't going to climb the ladder very quickly either. You know, growing companies give you afford you that opportunity. If you're in a company that hires 30, 40 percent new staff in a year, you got a pretty good chance of getting promoted just by yeah. force of numbers. So so I wouldn't be too worried about the the that side of the layoffs. I'd be more worried about the and, and it comes back to uh, stock ops, just to mention, we'll, we'll, I know we'll get to remuneration eventually, but we talk about stock options with this reset in interest rates, the valuations have to go down. I mean, just, just the math, like the valuations go down. 
And um, it's not those stock options just are less in value for two reasons. One is like the exit price will be lower. But the second is, is almost every investor has liquidation preferences on their on their shares. So they're going to get a certain amount of money. It like you could be a billion valuation or a hundred million valuation, and they've got a sort of a guarantee of say 90 million. So they could have, it doesn't matter, right? Like they could say they have 10% shares, but they've got a guarantee of the first 90 million, something like that. That That's the preference, uh, liquidation preference effect. And in effect, what that means is all this rush to invest that happened right right before interest rates have gone up has locked in a higher share of the future value of these companies to the investors. That's, they weren't, some, some of them made a mistake and invested, others were smart enough to lock in through, through liquidation preferences, essentially a higher stake in the business than it looks like on paper. Because when they exit at a lower valuation, the prefer, the liquidation preferences will bring them back. And that'll fall to ESOP, you know, the employee stock option holders for sure. Yeah, let's, since since we're on the topic, let's stay on the topic of options for a second before we, we start talking about just the, the general incentives of working for a startup and what the pros and cons are. But let's linger on the, the topic of the financial incentives that existed in the past, why somebody even would consider working for a startup regardless of how exciting the job is. But you couldn't separate that from an incentive of people thinking, well, maybe this this place is going some places and maybe I'll just, I'll just be a millionaire one day if I play my cards right and I'm an early employee, I get my options. I mean, there's plenty of examples, especially in Silicon Valley, where that was the case. And a lot of people were sort of in their back of their heads had that as one of the motivations. Let's talk about that. Maybe, Frederick, what's what's your point of view? I know all of the people or most of the people in your company also are rewarded with stock options. Is that, and you're in Germany, so there's still, there's whole lots of complications. We could talk about differences in the markets for stock options, but is that do you feel that that's a motivator? I mean, are people coming into the door, applicants asking specifically for that? Are they motivated by that? Or is it mainly a U.S. thing where people are super focused on, on getting options and getting equity and, and, and sort of rising up? Is that even a thing here? Is do you? Yeah. Maybe you can elaborate on that a little bit. I think it's a, when I talk about this, is from the perspective of an early stage company, right? And this, will, this might change throughout the, our growth path. Right now we're two years old. And I think... Mm -hmm. There's no person at TradeLink that's here for the money. Like at this stage, people don't, they don't come because they think they're going to be millionaires at some point. So the way we think about this is your own part of potentially building legacy and you want to be part of that trajectory. Um, and there is a, there's a chance that you don't have to work afterwards anymore. Right. But that's, that's a potential scenario that you don't work for. That's just a, that's just as a consequence of you being successful and learning a lot and having a steep trajectory. So we don't really have these discussions around, okay, is that going to be worth enough? How much is going to be worth? Also because we're at the stage where ideally there's a 10, 20, 30, 40x on what we do, right? We will grow, our idea is to grow a lot, right? If you're a later stage company, back to what Jonah said, then maybe you already locked in too much valuation and you don't have that, that chance to grow 10x or 20x and suddenly it becomes really relevant what the value is today for us it's really about is it going to be 20 30 whatever the number is right is this going to be getting really really big and i think that's what's motivating everyone um, right now but yeah not 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 the money and i think if you're coming for the money in the first place then you're probably not going to be successful anyway at a startup yeah but you are going to have the discussion because if if someone is um, uh, considering working for yeah. a large organization they are going to have bigger salaries yeah. there right 
you are going to in, in a when you if you're just starting off you're in a position you, you can't offer the same level of salary that you yeah. would that a large company can offer so there's something else and you typically your conversation you have as well your base salary isn't that high but here's some equity that could be worth some something in the future right you're having that conversation right so you are dangling that carrot in front of potential applicants or no i think the discussion starts with what's important to you in life do you want to learn do you want to have an mm -hmm. exponential career track um do you want to be part of uh, of building legacy then you probably should join. Then we talk about your compensation. It's likely going to be lower than what you earn in a classical larger company. Um, however, in a startup, impact is excessively rewarded more than CV or experience. So you have the chance to earn a lot more than in your current role if you're excellent. And I won't wait three years or four years till you have the right level. If you are awesome and you perform really well, I give you infinite responsibility and you'll be equivalently re rewarded for that. So you might make a lot more than you, you did before, but you're taking that risk. Yeah. And that conversation around salary versus uh, options and so forth is, is somewhat easy for someone just starting yeah. off or early in their career, right? Where it's not that much of an arbitrage, but it's a different story with someone who's been working for 20 years at Kuno Nagel or Hapag Lloyd or what have you. And is now considering moving into a, a, a role at a tech startup, that, that's going to be a major cut. That's a different story. Jonah, have you yeah. experienced situations like that? And what was the motivations for people doing that? And what was your, your major selling point in getting people yeah. like that to, to join? Yeah. It, it, so it really depends on the stage of the startup. And, and that's actually probably a key for the listeners who are, again, if we go back to these two people, they work at SAP, they work at Hapak Lloyd, they're considering moving to us startup that somebody knows or recommended to them or something, you know, the, the first one of the first questions to ask is what's the stage of the startup, right? So if it's uh, a pre-revenue startup, they don't have money to pay you your market salary. It doesn't matter what guarantees they give you. It's highly risky. You, you're going to be motivated by having a stake in the final in the final outcome of that business. That just that's the only way that you could. Obviously, the intrinsic motivation is there, but the only way that they can compensate you for the uh, the risk and the foregone salary is to give you a stake in the in the business, right? And then as it heads more towards a, just a operating business, if I think about a company like like Zen Cargo today, you know they're recruiting away people who are they're not just in you know Hapak Loig or something, they're like leaders of those companies. <laughs> Um, so you're getting the regional VP, you're getting the 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 sales uh, the sales VP, you're getting the head of partnerships. You know, Pro Pro Project Forty Four, you know, hired the Gartner lead analyst for their space, right? So <laughs> you you don't do that with. I mean, I, I'm, those people are going to get paid a lot of money no matter what, right? They're they they don't come over with a pay cut. They come over with a pay raise or or at least parity, plus the things that Frederick's mentioning. I know for me, when I've recruited in the past, the way that I was approaching it was, we're going to be a parity with market so that the person doesn't have this constant conflict within themselves of, oh, but you know, I could, I could be making like 5,000 euros more. That's mm -hmm. the distraction compared to the cost just wasn't, just the trade-off didn't make sense to me. So we wanted to be a parity on direct compensation, but we couldn't, there's no way we can make it less risky. Like that, it just is what it is, right? Yeah, because people would say, well, what's your runway? It was like uh, nine months, 12 months, something like that, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, there's, it's risky. Uh, but what we compensate the risk for then, or the risk with was more uh, the autonomy of the, the role, all the things Frederick just mentioned, like no one is, no one would prevent you from going as fast as you possibly can, right? Like if 
as we grow, you'll always be assumed to be the person in charge of your area. You know, you can work any way you want. You can work wherever you want. We were remote first before it was uh, before it was fashionable because people didn't want to die. We were remote first, and uh, through these combination of like the non monetary incentives, uh, we were able to recruit away like you know great great people actually. I think I think that worked. Yeah, but the, the sort of incentive of having autonomy and being your sort of own boss, or like, can you describe or kind of niche yeah. and carve out your own own space. I mean, if you reached a certain level inside a large, large organization, there becomes more autonomy, right? You have your space and you're you, you've got your freedoms, and it's not like you're a small cog of the of the. Or, or am I am I seeing this wrong? Is no. it harder to recruit people that have ri risen up the ranks and have therefore gained a sort of level of autonomy that you don't yeah. have if you're early on? I, I think the challenge that I faced with those people. So I'll give you like a, a, I have a clear example of someone in my mind who I wanted to hire as as a head of sales, mm -hmm. and this person was like, "Yeah, I make 250 base, and I make another 200 in variable. So I have a 450." thousand us dollar a year compensation and to, in my mind that actually wasn't the deal breaker the deal breaker was that those people don't think in terms of individual contributors they think in terms of teams so if i if i look at this person there was no there was no chance at all that this person was going to come to us if we didn't give him a team of say 10 people immediately mm. right so mm -hmm. so th this person was not going to do something themselves they were going to essentially you know be the general over an army not go out to the front line. And I think that actually was the, 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 in terms of timing, it wasn't, we couldn't pay him. It was, uh, in this case, it was a, it was a man just to be clear. So, uh, we couldn't pay him. It was the, that aspect. That's an interesting point because you, as a potential employee for, for a startup, you don't only have to evaluate the potential risk you're facing with this thing going out of business or not working out, but you also have to um, calculate the risk of you not thriving in that environment and not have you being actually successful because it's quite a different animal, right? So you, you're having to to deal with both of these risks. Um, I, I think it's a completely different job, right? If you have an established product, established market, and you need to maintain what already works and maybe advance it a little bit uh, and make sure reporting lines work versus building something from the ground, right? Or taking something and putting that into the next evolution of that stage, like for example, a head of sales that comes when there are 10 people versus managing 300 people. That's a completely different yeah. job, I think. Um, so that's something yeah. to check for. Mm -hmm. I'd love to make a point as well to, to what you said, Jonah, because I'm, I tend to disagree a little bit that people are really looking at their, or that all people are looking at their market value and sort of what's the fair value. And I want to optimize for that. And then they are trying to fit in. What is the value of that? What is the value of that for me? I, I tend to think about this um, as what am I currently doing with my life? How much do I love it? How, how, how passionate am I about it? And for me, a lot of people find startup to be the right thing for that. And then we have this discussion where at the early stage, right? And I'm, I'm clear about this is going to change and it's already changing in terms of how, how you pay. But it's really about, um, okay, what do you need in your life stage? Right. It's about you, you won't come if you have a house and if you have family and um, if we're so you, you should think about this as to what is what I need for my life. Am I going to get it from that company? And then they weigh in on what am I lacking on the upside uh, in another scenario and how much can I strive here? So I think it's not I don't think people are necessarily optimizing for that for that number. Um, but when they join us, at least they're optimizing. It's part of the equation, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they satisfy for it, essentially. Uh, the, the thing I experienced anyway was that uh, 
if you get at least in the range of their market salary, mm-hmm. it takes away a lot of yep. the potential stressor and noises. You know, their 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 spouse isn't reminding them that they're underpaid. You know, the, when a recruiter contacts them, which happens for everybody who has any c- capability at all right yeah. now, right? Uh, uh, when a recruiter contacts them, they're not constantly being bombarded with this, like, you are underpaid, you are underpaid. And it's not that, I, I agree, I totally agree with you, Frederick. I'm, ju- I'm just saying that my experience was that the the small delta there of yeah. like, well, I want to pay them 10% less than market, but I end up, ended up creating this, uh, this tension, which was like, well, let's just pay them market and, yeah. And then expect them to work twenty percent harder. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Let's let's talk very realistically about. Let's just use that example again of someone that's been at a larger company, be it a, a tech company like a large um, enterprise software company, let's say, or a logistics provider of of some size that is considering working for a startup that's new, that's sort of smallish and but has big upside potential. What, what's the biggest selling point? How, how should this person think about what's attractive about a startup? Why should they even bother? Why, why should they do this? What's, what's in it for them? Freddie, well, how would you best crystallize and describe it? Why that's a, a, even a, <laughs> an option to consider and what sort of person would actually thrive and mm-hmm. make a right decision by going with a startup? Cool. I think first of all, you're probably already unhappy if you're at a large corporate, um, and you think <laughs> no, no, that, that's probably a requirement. That's, that makes you buy. Like, no, there's no, 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 no. I'm not saying you're generally. Yes, but there, are, there are plenty of happy people there. Oh, if you're looking, you mean? Yeah, or? yeah. If you, if if we have this conversation, there is there is a there is likely that you wonder whether you should stay at a corporate, right? That's that's. I'm not saying uh, people can be extremely happy at a corporate, right? There's a lot of benefits to mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying if we have this discussion, then you probably already came to the conclusion that there might be something else that you want to do. Um, that mm-hmm. is different. Got it. Okay. And then I'll weigh in on this and I'll tell you, okay, for us, we are very um, invested in, in personal growth, right? We, we want to make sure that it's all about how fast can you grow? What do you need to acquire in terms of your skills? How can we help you to succeed? Then it's all about infinite responsibility. So if you're, if you're good at what you do, we'll constantly make sure you grow and you get more and more responsibility because there's just too much to do, right? There's just too much to handle. So you will make sure that uh, the people that perform get more responsibility. Um, of course, there's this being part of a big building legacy and being rewarded for that if that succeeds, right? If, if, if we're successful as we want to be, you likely don't have to work after this anymore, right? But that shouldn't be your primary motive. That's just a nice side effect of us being successful. Um, and you work with passionate people. I mean, people who love what they do and every day you have this constant buzz and, and people are really into what they are doing. Um, but then you also at the flip side, there's this constant buzz, right? This doesn't stop. Like there is no separation, mm-hmm. clear separation. That that's that's something that you need to be willing to want to do. John, anything to add there? Yeah, I mean, I I'm not doing it. So right, like I'm no, I'm no longer at a startup because because we sold our startup. Uh, but I still am looking for the same kind of uh, uh, staff, essentially the same kind of teammates, uh, and and hiring a lot. Uh, this is gonna sound a little weird, but. I try, I, I try to make the job sound as hard as possible, which, which it is. I mean, especially in the startup environment, it's, it's just brutally, unrelentingly hard. And, and contrast that with their, their other options. So if they want to go work for Hapak Lloyd, for example, I have no doubt that they'll succeed, right? They have, they have essentially zero chance of losing their job in the next year at these sort of stable, large corporates. But I, I take the position that when you succeed with, with a small goal like that, the success will make you smaller, essentially as a person. Yeah. That, that by have, having selected goals which were, so, which were so easily accomplished, 
you, you know, you know deep down inside that you're making yourself weaker and that you'll build your, your career, but not, but not just your career, just your sense of self, right? Your, your pride in yourself. You'll build that by taking on goals which are failable, right? That you, you, it's possible that you'll come work for us and though you try your best, we'll decide after a year, not that we're closing the business, but that you didn't cut it, right? Like you weren't, you weren't good enough for the team actually, or that we'll all try our best, but the market will decide that we didn't cut it as a group, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and only by participating in something that has the potential to fail, be, I mean, not by chance, not because lightning struck, but because you weren't good enough or we weren't good enough. Only through that is the success actually like affirming to, you know, to, to your sense of self. And if I can find people who, and, and there are people, right? Like if you can find people who that they, they see and, and, and live uh, with the embodiment of like that challenge, those are people I want to work with now, like, Sometimes they don't have exactly the right skill set, so it's just like I'm, I'm essentially I'm trying to figure out people I want to spend the next, you know, I don't know the next several years, fifty-five hours a week with, <laughs> and those are people I want. The people who are like, yeah, I just I want to, I want to, you know, I want to be safe. It's like, well, it's not safe here. I mean, sorry, right? Like it just isn't. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna try to make it safe, and I'm not gonna try to describe it like, oh, it's not safe, but you'll like these other things. I'm like, yeah, it's not safe. And if you you know you should be coming here because you don't like you want it to not be safe. That's actually a great point for startup founders not to sugarcoat things and being too eager to hire a great personnel on board and being having some real straight talk with them and really like opening up the kimono and tell them how it really is. But let's talk yeah. about how that really is. I mean, we've we've all worked in both more of a corporate environment as well as in a startup environment. From your experience, is that old adage or that old picture still true that you work twice as hard as a startup? It's just more, it's, it's brutal you, the way you described it, Jonah. Or is that sort of a myth that the, the workload or the stress that, that comes about is not as bad after all? Jonah, or maybe Frederick, what's your, what's your take? What's your experience and what do you see? How, how do people cope? <laughs> is, is the workload that much harder in your place than it is it's, it, the company has been around for 20 years? That's a good question um, that I probably can't answer totally, but I think a lot of the people that we hire already did more than they needed to do in their old role, right? They are already not mm -hmm. saying at five o'clock, I'm going to go home now, um, but they had this intrinsic motivation to reach something. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people already come with that mindset. Nevertheless, especially when we hire from, from, from corporate or classical industry, we have this conversation around saying, look, probably going to be harder i can't tell you how much you need to work because at the end of the day i'm looking at impact right and we'll we'll we'll, we'll look at that um i'm not going to bother you on the weekend likely unless there's something easy, really critical uh then i want you to help me but that happens like once every whatever uh year um and also depends on your position but then we have this interesting realization that we thought we talked about it but apparently we had different ideas of what it means that there's, that is really intense. So we had that in a couple of instances where we thought we talked about it, but there was still a gap in expectation and it was too intense, right? So that, that, that can happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, overall, I think if you prefer to work nine to five and that's sort of what you want to do, then probably don't join at least not an early stage startup. Yeah. I actually think the hours, I, although the hours are, are undoubtedly higher at startups, you know, in part for a lot of reasons, but, you know, in part because the mission's bigger and, and you have to, there's a sort of magic gap which has to be closed somehow, which is 
you have competitors who are already in the market, they have established things, whatever that is, and you have less people, less money, less brand, less whatever, less product, less service, and you have to somehow close that gap. And uh, the only way that I've figured out how to do that would be you have smarter people because there are smaller groups so you can select harder for smart for smarter people and they uh, and they work more hours. I mean, it's the only way that I see to do it. But but you also have the just basic stuff. Like you work at BMW, you have an HR department who's like tasked with stopping people from working overtime. You know, they're, they're sort of a, like, <laughs> like it's the, it's structurally they're intending to block that. Whereas, and maybe they don't do it all the time, but they, they at least make an effort. Whereas that doesn't, I've never met a, I've never really met a, a successful startup where they said, yeah, we, we hired this person in HR to, to block people from working extra hours. Does it work? Uh, but it does make sense to offer some sort of work-life balance because you, you could also run the risk of attracting people that are just so super intense that are workaholics and they just burn themselves out and that's not in your interest either, right? So you got to watch out for those those types that also have a propensity to show up at a startup, right? I, I would hire them. I mean, I, I, I consider that... <laughs> you would hire them for two years? <laughs> that's right. Well, well, I, I consider that burnout. So, so I, I have a, I have sort of an odd look at the work-life balance. I just don't, I just don't see that as a, actually as a, a topic for me. But, uh, but let's take that, let, let, let's take it at face value for us. So, let's say I had somebody in front of me, and I knew that they would work intensely. They've got the right skills and everything. They're going to work super intensely for two years, and then they're, then they really are burned out, and they'll have to, they'll have to take time off or leave or something. You know, two years in startup life. I, it's like it's like as if I were to tell you that in two thousand in two thousand one hundred we're going to have a food shortage on Mars. It's just so far. It's a problem that's so far in the future. That's so contingent on other things that it, it's not worth worrying about right now. Uh, that that's how I would look at. Can I can I say something that's that's opposing that <laughs> because I find that a very drastic <laughs> rational view. Please, I think. I think um, <laughs> I, I, first of all, I agree with you that if you find someone who is extremely driven and who just doesn't feel like they need to separate something really hard, then that's, I'd love to have that person as well. And I think we have a lot of these people. But I think people don't burn out because they work too much, right? People burn out because yeah. they are um, not handling a certain piece of ambiguity or because you are constantly changing direction, because you are not managing them well, um, because they don't have purpose. So that's something I think is in our responsibility to make sure that these people have or have a discussion with them about why they don't have it um, and sort of protect them in that way, maybe to, to weigh this perspective. Makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Well, just to, just to summarize it, just as a, as a piece of advice for someone that's in a later part of their career and has worked not in a startup environment, but is now looking to work at a startup, just to go back to our opening question, whether now is a good timing, yeah. is that... Can you say that now is a good time for that type of person to go into that space right now and why? Don't I stop with you? Is it a good time and why? So, so I think if you were a, uh, if you could, if you could live your life over a century or something, I would say no. You, the good time would be when there's a flood of money coming in and the economy is about to go into high growth mode, right? That, so, so, so that would have been a good time. But given that that's not the way life works, you, you, it's sort of the reverse is the question is sort of is now a good time for your life, not for the economy. And, uh, and then I, I probably am going to say what Frederick, Frederick would say as well, is just if, if now's the time for you, if this is the time you want to block out a couple of years and give it a try, especially if you're later in your career, as you said, Boris, you can go back to your career. I mean, they, they right. will accept you, right? So right. Just, mm -hmm. just try it, and, you know, in, introspect about what you want in your career and 
at this moment. And if that's what you want to try, then then try it. And also in a way, this is a self-weeding out process where the only jobs you find right now are with solid companies that are hiring that have a growth path, right? And you're yeah. not running yeah. into a risk where there's just frivolous hiring going on and and, and your job makes no sense and it's going to be gone. And, and so you have that situation yeah. too, where the only jobs at companies right now, I mean, you obviously maybe you have to do more diligence than you have in the past, but also yeah. the only jobs that you could potentially get right now are with jobs that are, you know, that are somewhat secure even in that space. I think Correct? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I think, I think it became easier uh, in that sense. Um, and typically, you know, in, in a downturn, some of the most successful companies have been founded, right? You're after the dot-com bust and Airbnb, Amazon, they all started hard times um, because they sort of had, a, had to develop a sound business model and be prudent about their spending and have the best people on board, stretch the people they have on board. So if you do more due diligence, I think that's right. But I don't think the fundamentals changed. So the market is ripe for uh, a new wave of technology. The problem is big enough and the money is still flowing in, right? We just have a detraction from what happened. But in Q2 this year, even after this first wave of correction, we still had more VC funding than in 2020, any quarter, right? So we're, we're talking at, okay, 21, 22, that was crazy, right? And that doesn't consist. This is not consistent anymore. But we're still having a lot of money and VCs looking at how much money VCs have at their disposal. That is actually higher than ever, right? Because they have that money right now. So fundamentals didn't change. Valuations came down and it might be hard to harder to raise for the next whatever. Nobody knows. Year, two years. But yeah, if you find a good company, I don't think uh, the why now changed. Yeah. yeah. So that was the discussion around folks that have been in the industry that at a later stage of their career. I was recently approached. So I was at an event, a logistics and supply chain event a couple of months ago. And I was approached by a student who's studying logistics and supply chain and he wanted career advice. So he was a fan of the podcast that I do. And so he came up and we took a picture. It was kind of cool. Um, so and he, he wanted career yeah, advice from me. You have groupies now, man. You that's got, right. That's, how, that's where you've arrived at. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Look at that. Um, anyway, so that was, that, that was sort of fun. And he asked me for career advice, which was pretty, pretty nice. I, I, I volunteered career advice. And he asked me whether after his studies, he should work for a, he was naming a particular logistics provider that had, had a big name. And he said, or if that's a good idea and my first response was you know what if i was in your shoes i would work at a real cool luck tech startup because yeah. the the experience you get there is invaluable this is a stage in your life where like we mentioned earlier you don't have the mortgage you don't have the three kids <laughs> you're still somewhat somewhat um unbound and free and you could you could take risks and chances and you the the, the rewards for working at a startup are that much higher plus combine that with the fact that you already have the basic logistics and supply chain knowledge from your studies and now you apply it at a Lucktech startup that's a that's a golden combination so my 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 advice for that person was unequivocally you go for a startup let me know <laughs> when you're ready and I'll hook you up with the right people I have insights into what companies are are good you know I mean that for real so I um, yeah that, that's that was my offer to him but any other advice or anything you would add to folks that are just entering the space so in that situation Boris you're describing someone's new to the industry they're gonna have a hard time distinguishing the truly interesting startup from the not interesting. Uh, someone who's in the industry is going to have a easier time figuring that out because either they have the more expertise themselves or they have a network they can ask. And I, for virtually any you know significant size startup, someone who's in the industry is going to be able to find somebody who's a, a customer, an employee, you know, an ex-employee of these people. It's just, or an investor or something. So I think the, actually the 
best thing they can do is try to find a buddy or a mentor or somebody like this person who found you at the event to guide them in that regard, even if it's just a black ball, white ball type veto type effect, or it's just, you, you know, nothing else. They just say, Hey, just, just don't, don't go to this company. Or hey, if you can go to this company, that would already change their odds in their favor. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you have mentioned this and I don't know if you were Jonah, but I know Frederick is for sure that I, I've recently launched a, a job board for the LockTech industry. Right. It's called LockTech as you may have seen it. And that's actually the model that I use there, which is nobody's posting jobs on that job board that I haven't personally curated. So I personally, I right. go to the companies that I think those are great companies to work for. And then I tease out and sort of filtrate the the best jobs and present it on that job board. I think there's there's a need for that sort of sifting and, yeah. and hand curation. It is a trial, it's an yeah. experiment right now. Let's see how it goes. But I think the, the instincts are aligned with what you just said, especially not just for young people coming into the industry, but someone in general. Like I'm very close to that whole scene because I talk to these founders all the time and I have a sense of who's bullshitting and who's who's real. And I'll try to right. sort of pass that expertise on and, and be of service. So I'll leave a link in the show notes uh, to the Lock Techies job board, whoever's yeah. interested. Yeah. <laughs> That's my little plug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Frederick, anything you wanted to add there to that to that part of the equation? Um, sure. Jumping to the, what should the, should the junior person at the beginning of their career join a startup? I think thinking about where you want to be in life and about your career success um, and what is what is going to determine your success is really important, right? And if you start, like your initial pay is not determining where you're going to end up, right? Where you're going to end up is determined by what you learn, how much impact you created, how much responsibility you had, how fast, uh, who you worked with and the experience you made there. And I think especially at the beginning where you have little downside because you have little dependencies in most cases in your life where you can easily invest time and effort into a startup, that's a great time to start. And then I think a good quite guiding question, if, if there's so many benefits uh, to the one starting the career or also mid or end of their career is what's the worst thing that can happen, right? So if you're, if, if it doesn't work after a year or whatsoever, you still learned a lot more than you would learn somewhere else. Your employability actually went up, right? So I yeah. think that's something that to take into account. You just have to get over that hump where you you have to describe to your family or friends who you work for. It's great to say I work for SAP or Oracle or yeah. what have you and a big name. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. you got hired there. Oh, look at you. As opposed to saying, well, I work for this company. It's called, and they say, who, what? Like, what did, they, what did they do? You have to explain it. You have to get over that hump. But I would just add to everything you said was, yeah. was right. And I would also add to it, don't underestimate the confidence that comes along with working for a startup and actually making that work and taking on responsibility yeah. early on, that is just a self-perpetuating thing that keeps going on and on. When you build that confidence early on in, in the first couple of years, it just goes from there. As opposed to where you end up in a large, very large organization and you have your small little piece of the pie that's already been done by somebody else in the past, you don't gain the same level of confidence. There's just no way that yeah. happens. So that's oftentimes underestimated that that it's a great way yep. to build confidence. Yeah, okay, it seems like we're all we're all very very bullish. Uh, we we have been all along, but now we're we're still bullish even in that downturn with everything with all the caveats we just mentioned. Um, so hopefully there was this was helpful to people who are thinking about whether this is the right time now in general at all to join a startup in the lock tech space and if now is the right time whether you're in a seasoned career or whether you're fresh. I hope there was some something here for everybody today. But Frederick, uh, Jonah, thank you very much for your participation. I hope uh, we'll see each other again. I feel that there, this wasn't everything that's uh, supposed to be said about this topic. I think there's a lot more left on the table that we could touch on on a later point maybe. But uh, thanks, thanks for being on again. Thanks, Boris. Thanks, Boris. Thanks, Boris.
Alright, that was the Logistics Tribe podcast episode with Frederick Krafforst and Jonah McIntyre. If you're all inspired now to go work for a LogTech startup, a good place to start looking is the LogTechies job board that I mentioned during this episode. You can find it at LogTechies.com. Alright, that's it for today's show. I hope you will join us again next week. I'm Boris Felgendreher. Until next time.